Hey, hey, hey. All right. This is a five-minute crypto daily update for... Uh, it's not really daily anymore. Every other day for Friday and Saturday, May 5th and 6th. Uh, we got a lot to cover, including more token investments, Solana's Phantom Wallet, Coinbase's expansion, Web3 Gaming, fucking Pepe Coin, Bitcoin data, and a lot more. All right. Let's do this like Buddhists. As of this recording, Bitcoin is holding strong at 29,400. ETH is at 1966, just a few ticks within that uh, really nice 2000 mark. And we're in a mini altcoin mania, I'd say, with Pepe passing 1 billion market cap and some other top risers, including Solana, Uniswap, and Sui Token. So, what's going on in crypto land? Well, I thought I'd just start out with a random thought of the day. I've always believed that, not always. I've believed that AI and crypto are kind of yin and yang, like these two opposite forces that are mutually reinforcing, and uh, they're kind of two extremes of the spectrum. So AI is all about absolute abundance at low to no cost, and crypto is all about absolute scarcity, uh, where everything is tracked and clear and there's some price attached to it. And I really think that with AI creating more and more deflation, it's going to drive more and more digital cost to zero. Just witness what happened with the Chegg stock falling 50% because they admitted that AI has hurt growth. I think it's going to touch a lot more industries. And I also think that in a way, crypto is well defended against this because it's all about provenance and uniqueness and scarcity. And so crypto is going to be relatively safer than many other stocks and other industries. So we mentioned DWF Labs a few weeks ago. Um, they're the market-making firm that was buying tons of... Uh, they were buying very large amounts of tokens like Synthetics and Telegram's ton. Uh, well, they're at it again, this time putting $60 million into the OG project EOS. If you remember EOS, they raised more than a billion, I think, in the biggest ICO of its time back in 2017. Although there were some rumors that maybe they were recycling funds, so the number is larger than the real money put in. Of the $60 million, $45 million will be probably a preferential price for the EOS token, and then $15 million as a kind of ecosystem fund to encourage projects to build on EOS. Next, we have a great resource from BlockWorks. It basically goes over different kinds of consensus mechanisms. It's a nice 101 if you want to learn about consensus mechanisms, which are at the heart of blockchains. And it's really how the different participants, nodes, miners, validators, all reach agreement on the state of the chain. And so the article goes over proof of work, proof of stake, and newer mechanisms like proof of authority, which is used by Decred blockchain, and proof of history, which is used by Solana. So the next two are pieces of Solana news. Um, Phantom Wallet, which is the largest wallet for Solana and the one that I personally use, it's launched support for ETH. And this follows a similar move by Magic Eden, which was Solana's largest NFT marketplace to also expand to ETH. And I personally use Phantom. I think it's one of the best wallet experiences. All right, and the second bit of Solana news, there's a good tweet thread from BlockWorks Research on Solana's newly launched NFT project, Mad Lads. It had a ton of demand, but interestingly, Solana gas fees didn't spike thanks to this concept known as local fee markets. Uh, to quote from the thread, unlike other blockchains, Solana is able to parallelize transactions, meaning multiple transactions can be processed at the same time instead of being processed sequentially. This is possible since every instruction has to specify which account it reads and writes to. Okay, next we got a bit of Coinbase news. 
Uh, we've talked before in recent episodes about Coinbase has been posturing about moving out of the U.S. if the SEC and the federal government doesn't make its crypto laws clearer. Well, Coinbase also has a blog post describing their global ambitions, and I think it's interesting which countries they chose to highlight. So among them include Singapore, Brazil, UAE and Abu Dhabi, uh, Bermuda, which we mentioned they'd obtain an operating license for an offshore exchange. And finally, to quote from the blog post, they're doubling down on Europe. And in related news, Coinbase released their Q1 results. And because there was revenue growth, investors reacted positively and sent Coinbase's stock up 8%. Um, next, we have a piece from Arca Newsletter. It's a great write-up on Web3 Gaming. And Arca is a great team with also a lot of TradFi experience. What I find interesting is the way that Arca frames the Web3 gaming market. They explain it as two maxima, kind of two categories for Web3 games. So one is what is more Web3 native, that's what they're calling it, which includes on-chain game design, every asset is a token, these projects launch really fast to market and iterate quickly. And the other is what they're calling traditional bridge gaming, where it's more like traditional game industry. It takes multiple years to release a game. The game is largely centralized, but there are plans to democratize. Okay, next we have a, a Bitcoin piece from one of my favorite Bitcoin analysts. He is David P. Bitcoin on Twitter. The link will be in the show notes. And he shares a monthly analysis of Bitcoin price. And in particular, the frame that he uses is looking at large buyers of Bitcoin, whales and orcas. And to quote from his latest issue, the data above are a tale of two markets within BTC. In one respect, more and more people are joining the network virtually every single day. As shown above, minnows increased by 382,000 in April alone and by 3.85 million over the past year. Exponential network growth by any measure. On the other hand, institutional involvement not only stalled after early 2021, but there has been considerable contraction since then, and particularly among the orcas, who, for anyone has followed me for a while, knows I consider to be the most important investor tier with respect to price action. All right, next to continue on the Bitcoin kick, um, I've mentioned this resource before, but Bitcoiner James Lavish has a really great macro newsletter. And the issue I'm sharing, he just tears apart U.S. government finances and explains some of the deep financial problems um, our federal government is facing. So to quote, at this rate, we will be running not a $1.4 trillion deficit in 2023, but something likely more along the lines of a $2 trillion deficit. So the Treasury's debt temperature this year and for the foreseeable future is hot. The debt spiral is on, we are in it, and the Treasury and Fed have little choice but to eventually swoop in and print more, inflate more, monetize more. All paths lead to inflation. Okay, next, since we're in the doldrums really of the NFT bear market, it feels like there's capitulation everywhere. This one is a bullish thread from KookWeb3 on Twitter. 18 tweets on why we'll have another NFT bull run. So to quote, he says, Cheaper NFTs like Reddit's collection will likely drive mass adoption. To obtain their avatars on Polygon, Reddit users created 3 million crypto wallets. He also tweeted, I think successful projects that engage both Web2 and Web3 audiences could trigger the next bull run by generating higher exposure. 
Okay, so we're running a little bit long today, but you know, it's a every other day update, so there's more. Lastly here, just a piece from Coindesk on how CBDCs, what are known as central bank digital currencies, may become a presidential election issue as we start the slow ramp to next year's 2024 U.S. presidential elections. And to quote Coindesk, quoting blockchain lobbyist Ron Hammond, expect this CBDC issue to become a presidential campaign talking point. It's the perfect intersection of fear of government, China, and finance collapse with the bank crisis. I know that Republican presidential hopeful and current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has already come out against CBDCs. He even proposed a Florida legislation that would completely ban their use. And I definitely support that because I think that CBDCs will be giving the government the right to essentially inspect and censor every transaction we make. And that won't make us any different from China's financial system. And it reminds me a bit of Snowden and how he revealed that the NSA was essentially tapping and tracking all of U.S. citizens' phone calls. Okay, so that's it for today. All the links are in the show notes. You can follow at 2DGensPod on Twitter for more. And for our outro clip, we've got OG Bitcoiner crypto builder legend Eric Voorhees describing the fiat money scam. Next, let's discuss why fiat is bad money. Why should we care about cryptocurrencies and their attributes when we already have fiat? Fiat works pretty well, right? It's got pyramids and government buildings printed on it, so you know it's valuable. Also, it is backed by paper. Paper can be burned if you're cold in the winter. There's its intrinsic value. Try that with gold. But a skeptical observer should know that fiat money is an absolute scam and something altogether inappropriate for an ethical market-based society. As I like to say, you cannot have a free market when the most important good, money itself, is centrally planned and controlled. Fiat money and a market economy are mutually exclusive concepts. Like oil and water, they can certainly be mixed up together when force is applied, but they will naturally separate and dispel one another over time. Indeed, the average lifespan of fiat is less than 50 years. The U.S. dollar only became fiat in 1971. That's less than the length of William Shatner's career. And as it happened, last week he announced that he has started to mine bitcoins as well. 